Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
gentlemen, and welcome to Getting It Out Podcast. That was Harm's Way with Undertow featuring King Woman. That's off of their fourth Kelming album, Common Suffering. It's out next week, September 29th on what? Metal Blade Records. And that's the subject of this episode. But first, a little more about Harm's Way. Can you believe they've been around for almost 20 years? This, I don't know which album this is for them. I got a few on my shelf behind me right now. Uh, big fan of the band. Uh, still saying post-human for that one album that was post-human or whatever. Uh, still mispronouncing. But you know, if they're going to put the apostrophe there, I'm going to mispronounce things. It's just the way it is. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that apostrophe. But mostly on this episode, it's going to be a broad conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Slegel, who, of course, runs Metal Blade Records. Two-time author, many-time music producer, uh, several times uh, label head. I don't know. How, how, do you, how do you go through this guy's uh, accolades? How do you list them off? Uh, an integral part of the heavy metal community and has built and broke many bands over the years. Uh, just say Metallica. We'll start with that one. And uh, you can pick any of them after that. Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, Slayer, which by the way, I tried not to talk about any of those bands in this interview with Brian. This is the September label spotlight and it's the biggest one yet. I hope you enjoy it. But first, I want you to enjoy some Hot Zone. Check it! People love to discuss the GOAT, the GOAT conversation. What does that mean for people who don't follow sports? It's the greatest of all time. You don't need to follow sports to understand what a GOAT is. It's not just a GOAT, though. GOATs are pretty cool. I bet they shit a lot, though. I probably wouldn't like that if they were around me, and they probably make a lot of noise. Some people like the feigning ones, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the greatest of all time. You can talk about in sports, people will say football, that's Tom Brady. And somebody will go, no, that's Terry Bradshaw. And some other idiot will be like, that's Joe Montana. And people used to argue it's Peyton Manning, but I think that eventually went away uh, while Tom Brady was still playing. And then in basketball, it's uh, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But the real answer, of course, is Charles Barkley. Um, basketball is 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 one that it comes up more frequently than, than most uh, Heavy music. It's Metallica. It's Slayer. Who's the who's the best of the big four? Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth. It's usually one of the first two, of course. But we don't often talk about the greatest record labels of all time. And I think when you're having that conversation, there's no way you do not include Brian Slegel's Metal Blade Records in that conversation. Where do you put them? How do you rank them? Who else is even in there? They're the first ones that come to mind when you think of heavy metal. I'm sure of it. There is a no doubt. And you know it. I know it. So why bother debating it? The greatest of all time, at least for now. Brian Slagle has been running Metal Blade Records since 1982. That's a long time. Started with the Metal Massacre compilations and has been crushing it ever since. Still going strong to this day. Actually, today 
they released the brand new Cannibal Corpse record. You can get that wherever you get records. Actually, let's get right to things and let's preview that record. Let's play a track from the new Cannibal Corpse. This one is called Bloodblind, and then we'll get straight into my conversation with the great Brian Slegel.
Like I said, I'm a basketball guy. You're a hockey guy. I've always said I would make the switch or I would love to be in the hockey. But uh, but the 82 game schedule, they they like they run parallel like through the year. So just so I'm just curious, what is it about hockey? Why what gravitated you towards hockey? Although that's my problem with watching more basketball is that it, exactly it runs concurrently with the NHL. Yeah. Uh, I was I played a lot of sports as a kid. I played baseball from age five to eighteen, basically, and big sports fan growing up. Uh, I didn't really get to play ice hockey because we it was single mom. We didn't have a lot of money. It's really expensive to get ice time yeah. and stuff. So, but I always was kind of a fan. But in I think it was nineteen. 80 or 81, I can't remember which year, but um, hockey wasn't really on network TV anymore. It was kind of wasn't just around, but some local channel in Los Angeles, uh, where I've lived until seven years ago, uh, played the Islanders uh, Stanley Cup Finals starting at 11 o'clock at night. Just They just picked it up out of nowhere. And that was generally when I was kind of ending my day. So I turned on TV and saw this game. Oh, I'll just watch some of it until I probably fall asleep. But I got, so, I got super into it. So the following season, I think that was 80. So the following season was 81. I started to go to some more live games, some LA Kings games. I went to a handful of them. It was really cheap. You know, there's like 5,000 people in the crowd, but the games were really fun. And the following year, um, quick story, but the, the guy who printed my fanzine at the time, his dad, who was a printer, printed stuff for the Kings and the Lakers. Uh, and instead of getting paid, they bartered with them and they gave them season tickets to both teams. They didn't want the Kings tickets. They knew I liked hockey. So do you want these tickets? So I'm like, sure. So I just took them over and just became completely obsessed with the game. And I think it's just, uh, you know, for me, it's, there's a lot of skill. It's fast. There's violence. There's, you know, all this sort of stuff, you know, kind of like heavy metal that I like. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's cool. And, and now that you, now that you say the story of getting the, getting the tickets, I remember that is in one of your books. Uh, I think maybe the, for the sake of heaviness, I think that might be the first one. Maybe I'm wrong. The first but, one, yeah. 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 Which by the way, I should say to the people who are listening now that I was just talking to you about it, that, uh, that I've recently read both of your books and that's one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk to you. Um, and for anybody who's interested in the background, the story of not, not just metal blade records, but really heavy metal in general should pick them up and check them out. It's a, like you said yourself, it's a quick and easy read and uh, i've really much enjoyed it and uh that's that's why we're here right but so the reason i like asking i like talking to people who are into extreme music we'll just call it extreme music and sports because a lot of times that gets gets shit on a bit you know they think you gotta it's like one or the other you know especially from the especially from like if you go towards like the the punk and hardcore and the more like on you know the deeper you get in the underground it's more what are you doing with the what are you doing with the the jock mentality, right? Did you ever uh, have any resistance from either side about that? Like just from the metal side? Oh, you like you like hockey? Is there any anything like that? You know, not really. I mean, I mean, the only thing I'll say is that uh, you know I'm not a musician, which is probably why I'm doing what I'm doing because I I tried to play, but I, I had zero talent whatsoever. So yeah, um, so I, I played sport, but I wasn't really a jock. I don't think I was. You know, I played baseball. You know, just. The only serious thing I ever did was I was the high school tennis team, which is not very jockish. (laughs) But but the interesting thing about, about sports, you know, specifically, you know, hockey or really, really any sport. I'm a big um, football fan, NFL fan as well, but I like all sports. 
But anyway, the, the weird thing about musicians and people in the music industry a lot of times is that, you know, musicians did spend all their time in their rooms learning to play these instruments. And there's definitely, I remember when I was in school, you know, I was a big music fan and there was definitely like, you know, the jocks were not really into music and the music fans weren't really into the other things. So it was definitely a very, I was firmly in the music side of the thing, even though I, I dabbled in playing and stuff, but, um, but it was interesting. But again, the thing about music musicians are that I'd say 80, 80 to 85% of them are not in sports at all, yeah. at all. But there's, you know, 15, 20% of them that are super into sports. So, you know, it's always fun, you know, when I get those guys, because uh, it's interesting you mentioned, uh, you know, the kind of punk hardcore thing in sports. So two of my really good friends, uh, especially back in the, the 80s, uh, 80s and 90s LA Kings were uh, Greg Hetson, who played in Circle Jerks and Bad mm-hmm. Religion, sure. massive LA Kings fan, uh, and also Rocky George, who played mm, in suicidal, suicidal and was in and was in uh, I think places Chromax uh, yeah. and I mean, he would he would come to the games with me all the time. He played actually. He was a really good good hockey player, so he went to the games. But you know, there's two musicians in, in punk rock stuff that were also huge uh, huge sports fans. So it's kind of funny. But in general, though, yeah, they're they're not uh, they're not sports fans at, at all. I, there's some bands where they don't even. They know nothing. That's so kind of funny. <laughs> I know. I always get serious. Here's what happened when I, whenever I get somebody on here that knows or is interested in sports, I end up talking more sports than I do, you know, the, <laughs> the, the rest of it, because uh, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, it's familiar with you. We, where when you're always talking music and then somebody offers something else up that you happen to be passionate about, it's like, Oh, well here, let's jump down this rabbit hole too. So yeah, my friend, Sean Rourke, who works uh, at NHL.com and I did this podcast where we'd, we talked to athletes and celebrities who were into, who were into music. And when we first, when he first, he first came to me with the idea and I go, well, I don't know, you know, these hockey players are really difficult to talk to and they don't have a lot of personality. How are we going to do a show for, you know, 15 minutes, let alone, you know, 45 minutes, but you get them talking about music. It's a whole different ball game. And it was sure. really fun to do. Um, and we're kind of possibly sort of interesting, the timing on this, because this week I've been spending uh, here in Las Vegas, it was the NHL player media week and the NHL flew up, you know, one or two players from every team out to do interviews with a whole bunch of people. So the NHL was kind enough to let me do a few interviews this week. Mm. Uh, We'll see where they end up. But one of them was was with uh, Jack Eichel from our local Vegas Golden Knights who won the Stanley Cup. And all we did was talk music. And he was great. Yeah. And they were saying, that, you know, the NHL guys were saying that was great. Even Eichel was like, man, that was really fun. It was like so different than all the other stuff that, that we talk about. But he's not a lot of hockey players are really into music, but he, he's a, he's into it. He's not into super metal, but he's into, you know, classic rock. He's a Metallica fan and stuff. Right. So it was fun. Close enough, right? Uh, and of course, you, yeah. you, you know, nearly an, an expert on Metallica. And, you know, I almost, I was like going to say, I'm not going to bring up a single thing about Metallica and I'm not yet. <laughs> Hold on, because I want to go back to something else you just said. Um, the, you just mentioned the, the Vegas Knights, which I know, like, again, like I said, I'm not big on NHL, but I know they, they were an expansion team, right? That it, it wasn't a new, it was an expansion team a couple of years ago. That's and team, you, yeah. you coming from LA, then were you there before the team or after? Well, so I was long story, but I was kind of just ready to get out of LA, just the mm. traffic and everything yeah. else. So I wasn't really sure where I wanted to live. Uh, I had a place in New York City, I had a place in Dallas, a place in Tampa, and I had just bought a, a place here in Vegas. 
because uh, I love the desert. It was really more of a investment sort of thing where it's like, hey, it's houses were really cheap then. And I just kind of wandered into this house. Not thinking I was ever going to really move here. Yeah. But I kind of spent some time in each city figuring out where where I wanted to end up. But of course, I had to be in a city that had an NHL team. And when I first got the house in Vegas, they did not have one. But then all of a sudden, like there's going to be an expansion team. And I just really liked it out here. A lot of friends, a lot of great people here. A lot of entertainment people are here. A lot of people from L.A. that I know well. Yeah. all live out here so once they got the hockey team that was kind of the okay i think uh i think that's probably where I end up. <laughs> that's, makes it suitable well that what, what i was going to ask you though is a is a very uh it's like my favorite sports question is would you ever change like you're, you're a king's fan right so would you ever switch teams if like everything went with it it's just the logo everything the logo stays the same the Los Angeles Kings logo stays in Los Angeles, but everything, the general manager, the owner, the players, they all come to Vegas and everybody from inside of Vegas goes to there. Would you switch teams on that? Well, see, here's the thing. I'm a, I'm a West Coast guy, right? So okay. I was never I was never that guy that that would be my team is my team no matter what. I'm not that mm. person at all. And, you know, the Kings, I go back from liking them. There's a long time where I didn't like them because the what they were doing, I thought was very wrong. You know, players they're bringing in, the direction of the team was terrible. And I'm like, I'm, I root for teams that uh, that I like their style of play. And that goes for, you know, really any sport. I'm Like for football, I mean, I was a Bronco fan growing up just because even though I lived in L.A., I had a lot of family in Denver and the Broncos were really terrible. Yeah. That city loved that team so much. And I wasn't really a Rams fan. So I'm like, ah, I'll the Broncos. And I was a big fan when they got Elway and everything, which was fun. Um, but, you know, now they're owned by, you know, Walmart. And it's kind of harder for being <laughs> owned by these big corporate folks. So I, I, I'm not that East Coast guy. Like, like I have friends in New York who, you know, Jets, Giants, Rangers, whatever it is. Yeah. They're with that team forever. No matter what. You got to be. If, if, if anybody finds out you run, switch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. For me, yeah. I, I don't really, I don't really care. Even the, even the Knights, you know, I, I uh, you know, buying season tickets in that first year, they went, you know, they went only expansion team ever to go to the Stanley Cup finals. I, yeah. I think one yeah. of the only expansion teams ever to go to any final in any sure. sport, which is just a crazy uh, thing. So I was, was really into them for a while, but then even last year, I was like, I don't know, the moves they're making weren't really great. And I kind of was like, eh, I'm not really sure about it. And then, of course they win the Stanley Cup. So as much as I think I know about hockey, I don't really know as much. Right? Um, uh, I'm like but, that with everything. Yeah, but fantasy not, football. Yeah. Right. And I'm all over the map. Like, you know, I like a lot of hockey teams. I got a, football, a lot of football teams, same thing with basketball. Like, you know, I, I, I do watch the NBA when it gets to the finals. So like last year was great watching the nuggets and Jokic mm-hmm. kitchen, you know, all those guys. And even the year, you know, a couple years before when Milwaukee made it, uh, you know, that was fun with, with, you know, Giannis and all those guys. And, you know, just, I just, appreciate really good athletes doing really, really good things. No matter, you know, what sport is it? I'll watch golf and, you know, I'll watch tennis. I'll watch a lot of stuff. That's very cool. And I could go on forever about sports, but we should talk a little bit about metal blade records as well. I've been talking sports all week now. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, we're not getting off sports that quick because the, the theory is that you'll also be getting a basketball team and, like you know, a handful of years as well. It's, it's by the way, it's not a theory. It's actually happening. I'm, I'm yeah. actually really good friends with the guy yeah. who's uh, who's in charge of building the arena here. So yeah, it's going to be expansion team. Um, I don't know when they're going to start. Probably probably not till 2028. But, uh, but yeah, well, LeBron's we'll, out of the league, right? So he can own it. 
That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> I think he said he wanted to be involved in the ownership mm-hmm. there. So I mean, we'll see where that goes, but uh, yeah, but we'll, we'll have a team uh, before the, the uh, for 2030, I think. Yeah, there you go. I think that's, I think that's a safe bet. All right. Well, let's talk about starting other things. You started Metal Blade Records back in the, I don't remember what the, first, the exact year is. Let's just say early 80s. You had a lot yeah, of success. A lot of 82, a lot of success. Start off with the Metal Massacre comps and, you know, built up from those basically, which is a really interesting way. In a way, I don't think anybody's, well, I wouldn't say anybody, not, not a way that many people have built labels in the last 20 years, you know, starting with that comp, which, you know, the compilation uh, was like instrumental for me getting involved and into so many other bands myself, you know, for in in various different styles of music, it's just been that compilation. I I talk about it with so many other bands. How There was certain record labels and it was usually record label based. Their compilation allowed me to, you know, get in there and then you just buy the thing with the logo. So, my question to you regarding the compilations was, was there something like that for you, a compilation when you were coming up that introduced you to a world of music? A hundred percent. So I, I was really heavily into the new wave of British heavy metal, which was, of course, the scene happening in England, you know, Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Saxon, on and on. Uh, and there, a lot of that was do-it-yourself stuff. You know, there were independent labels like Neat Records. And, and there was a compilation album that came out called Metal from Others that was, you know, had a, a bunch of bands like Iron Maiden and a bunch of those bands on it. And it was just a, you know, some independent person company just put it together that that was a real huge influence on me and i i was at the time that i did the first compilation i wasn't in, i had no idea i was going to start a record label I, that wasn't my intention i was doing a fanzine and there were a little bunch of bands playing in la and i just it, again in 1982 nobody knew these bands existed they nobody would ever know they would exist because the major labels could care less and you know i was just trying to help people hear these bands that I thought were really good. So uh, getting the idea of based on what had happened in England is kind of where I've got the idea to put together the compilation album of, of LA heavy metal bands. And that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing the way it branched off and like, they, I don't think those uh, those metal massacres are all available like on streaming platforms. There's people that made playlists and stuff. So it's, but it's, so it's a little hard now to use the internet and find, I mean, it's, it, it can be done of course. Uh, find what's exactly on everything. Yeah, well, because we, we, you know, I was young, I didn't know what was going on. We just licensed all those songs for like five years. And so all the all of them, except for the last few, are all out of print. But we did, as part of our 40th anniversary last year, I, I've been wanting to, for a long time, reissue the first Metal Massacre album. But I was like... Be a nightmare. I don't know who owns the rights, who can get the rights, if any, all these bands are going to be cool with it or not. Uh, and I just sat down in one afternoon and just kind of contacted everybody in the two hours of the stuff, which kind of <laughs> blew me away because I thought it was going to be a nightmare. But everybody's like, "Yeah, we're in," and and we we you know we put it together. And then uh, some some people connected with us who do documentaries and stuff actually. We filmed the documentary based on that first Metal Massacre. So every single band that's on the first Metal Massacre is in the documentary. And it's pretty I've cool. Heard, I've we're, heard about this. Yeah, we're we're in the last steps of trying to, to figure out where it's going to end up. But uh, mm. but it, it came out really good. It was just it was really just meant to be something fun and maybe a half hour long. And it ended up being like an hour and a half or even longer than that. And now you know, it's a real documentary. So we're trying to, to get it placed someplace cool. So we'll, uh, it sounds like a solid metal soon. metaphor for the way metal blade started. It's supposed to be fun, just a little thing. And right. now it became this big, long thing. And it, 
pretty much. <laughs> and it's and it's and it's everywhere. It's it's really amazing to me how long uh, you've kept this thing going and that you've been there the entire time, right? Because of course, there's yeah. labels that are older and have been around for just as long or whatever, but they've they've changed hands a hundred times, and you know the people aren't running it like the way you are with the still such such a hands-on approach. So my question then for you is how much is hands-on for you? What do you, what do you do? What is a day-to-day for you these days? Well, it certainly changed a lot from, you know, where it used to be. Uh, I'm really insanely lucky where I have a, we have a tremendous staff uh, all over the world. So, you know, I don't have to deal with like the day-to-day stuff as much. I don't deal with the manufacturing or, Mm -hmm. you know, the press or, you know, a lot of that sort of stuff that, you know, I used to be involved with pretty heavily. I just, I let, they do it and they do a great job. So I don't need to be involved. So, so my thing is, you know, kind of a few levels. I mean, number one, I deal with all the big, bigger bands like you know monomarth and cannibal and you know <clears throat> you know etc etc you know kind of sure. king diamond commercial fate all that stuff, sort of stuff so you know i talk to all those guys and their managers and stuff you know every week or so just to, to see what's going on and kind of talk more big picture sort of stuff and the same thing you know big picture for metal blade like you know where are we doing where are we going what are we doing what what's like the next steps in the music industry that we need to be following you know what are the next new social media things we need to be doing mm-hmm. you know a lot of that sort of stuff and and, you know, lately beginning, we've been, we've been doing a lot of uh, collaborations and partnerships with with various branding things, which is kind of fun. So, you know, we have a, we have a vodka, we have a beer, we have a hot sauce, we have uh, uh, we have shoes coming out soon. You know, we've got mer- merchandise and all that stuff. Yeah, shoes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. Something cool That's- with a really cool shoe company, so. That's cool. That's cool. I was, I was going to ask you about the, uh, I mean, we'll jump all over the place here. I was going to ask you about the vodka because that's the thing that, well, I like drinking and I like tend to buy a lot of, uh, an excessive amount of bottles that, uh, I keep storing under my cabinet. Right. Um, but, uh, that's like, I gotta be a whole different thing. Why'd you get into that? Because I, I know just from, from, I like buying bourbons and they're the pain in the ass to get. And the distribution is fucking crazy in the United States and yeah. certain States make it difficult as hell. So that had to be a shitty world to get into. So why did you do it? Yeah, you're uh, you're right. Well, you know, it's a funny story about that. So basically the vodka came about uh, a friend of mine, producer Jay Rustin, uh, you know, has done Anthrax and Armored Saint and Slipknot and Cortez and all that stuff. He, uh, he had a friend of his who was dating a guy who was doing a vodka. And he said, hey, he wants to get in the music industry. Can you help him? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, give him my number and I'll... I'll give him some, some pointers and, you know, where to go. So talk to him, cool guy, um, you know, say, Hey, you know, talk to these people. And after a little while he said, Hey, you know, you guys are doing your 40th anniversary. Why don't we do a vodka for your 40th anniversary? I said, I mean, sure. You know, we, we didn't have to pay, you know, he was putting up the bill for it. So I'm like, yeah, Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, but yeah, but then you start getting into it and, What's funny about that is that, um, you know, we're, we do a lot of stuff with Q crime who manages Metallica and then we're, we're doing this project with, uh, Michael from Volbeat. It's a death metal band called ass and hell. Yeah, so, yeah. so I'm dealing with them a lot. And, and just one day I was having a conversation and I said, Hey, you know, you guys, you know, Metallica has that, uh, has that whiskey Blackened. that you guys are doing. 
uh, you know, we're doing this vodka, maybe there's a synergy or maybe, you know, we can, you know, it would be nice to, to you know, just talk to somebody about that and start live. So, yeah, that's one of the, the, one of the hardest things that was, I said, have ever dealt with. They just said, Oh, let's do a vodka. Let's do a whiskey. It'll be really fun and easy. And then you run into all the stuff that you said at every state has a different distributor. Every state has different rules about who can bring it in. Uh, you know, the various distributors, some are good, some are not so good. It's a real, it's a gigantic um, headache, uh, which has probably taken up, you know, way too much of uh, of my time and, and and our time at the label. But but it's fun. At least the good thing, good news about the vodka is it's it is really good. Uh, I'm a big vodka guy, so you know I'm a big Tito's guy. But this is made the same way, you know, filtered, gluten free, all that sort of stuff, and we've got a great response on it. And just kind of funny how things roll. We here in Nevada is probably where we're selling most of it or a lot, most of it because we only have distribution in like, I think like eight States, but you can, you can go quick plug. You can go to metalbladevodka.com and buy it online. It ships to 34 States, but here in Nevada, uh, Lee's liquors is like the big, you know, statewide liquor store basically. And, yeah. and we got it in there only because the guy who brings in all the alcohol, he told us like initially I said, no, we have too many vodkas and we don't need any vodkas. But he went and did some research on the label and realized he's got two kids, 14 and 16, and like half of the bands on our roster are their kids' favorite bands. <laughs> so he's like, I want to be the cool dad and and, uh, and bring this in. So we, we kind of get the heavy metal helped us there a, a little bit as well. But yeah, it's, it's fun to do these sort of things, a little bit different. It's, you know, also, you know, for me, check stuff off your bucket list. Like, you know, what haven't we done over right, 40 right years now and you know doing that is is one thing but it's definitely uh yeah as you said it's uh it's interesting to be involved in that spirit world but it's also yeah it's a it's a pain yeah 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 i i can't i can't imagine and again i only know this as a as a new new a novice i should say that's the word i use as a novice to the whole uh to the whole liquor thing this year i decided i'm gonna start i'm gonna start getting into that world and like trying to be like a whiskey guy which i've enjoyed right but it's such it's so hard just to buy things you know it's so i can't so i can't imagine being on the other end how hard it is to sell things yeah it's uh it's very interesting yeah well (laughs) well tell me more about things that you know how to sell records uh metal blade (laughs) metal blade uh You've gone through a couple different things. There was a brief uh, partnership you had with Warner Brothers. There's, but that was like, what was that? Is that early nineties? Is that? Yeah, basically late eighty nine until like ninety three. We were basically there for four years. Yeah, well, and I really liked the story uh, in your book about how you really stood your ground for Guar and for what they were about, and I think that was a very cool thing. And I don't and. And it just speaks to your character and the way you're willing to do and stand up for your bands. And, uh, and I, I, but I don't know how well known of a story that is. And I think, but I, but I think that's kind of what's cool about it is that maybe it's one you mostly have kept to yourself for a long time. And, uh, that I think there's some like honor in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had gone through the eighties and we had lost about, I don't know, maybe 16 bands to the major labels. It was very frustrating because mm-hmm. it's fine. You know, we realized, Hey, we're a small independent company. We can't compete with these other labels. Like if you're going to take our bands, like we were all for it. We thought, great, you, you'll take the bands and they'll become big and we'll have the catalog. Everything will be wonderful. Right. Well, that's not the case that happened other than Metallica and Slayer. Everybody else kind of didn't do what they want, what they should have done. And they all started coming back to us. Mm-hmm. So we felt that, you know, the best case scenario would be like, let's partner with a major label. So that way we can keep the bands and hopefully, you know, do things the right way and grow them properly. So we ended up, uh, 
it's kind of weird for me. I was, you know, whatever, 28, 29 at the time, you know, still young guy and not really knowing a lot about the music business. And here I am talking to, you know, Warner Brothers on one end and, and Columbia CBS on the other end, who are the two biggest record companies in the world. Also bitter rivals too. So it was mm-hmm. just, it was weird. I mean, being flown to New York and, you know, both labels are asking me, asking me about the other, but we ended up going with Warner Brothers just because they were based in LA. And, and I really liked, uh, you know, Lenny Warnicker and Mo Austin are two absolute legends in the music business and they were running it and it just felt it felt pretty good because even though they were a major label at the time they were still independent so it felt like a really good marriage for us so you know we were there for a couple years and had some you know reasonable success with things but two things happened number one the 90s came and uh grunge came and uh kind of you know uh put a big uh uh, cog in the oar of heavy metal at the time and then the other thing that really happened was so ice T put out that song cop killer and ice T was part of the Warner brothers, uh, label. And it was a huge controversy and all this sort of stuff. And then right. I can't remember the timing exactly, but at some point Warner brothers was bought by time Inc and time was this massive corporation that owned, you know, magazines and all sorts of stuff. So they bought Warner Brothers. So we're like, okay, this is going to be interesting. But, you know, I didn't really think much of it. I just thought, well, whatever. It's a a different parent company. All the same people still worked at Warner Brothers. But um, after the cop killer thing, they were very... uh, they were very corporate and we were going to put out a Guar record. And all of a sudden I get a call from our product manager and said, Hey, uh, I got to talk to you about something. All right. What is it? He said, well, you should probably come in. Like, oh, okay. That's never good. Right. <laughs> so no, no. why don't you come to my so, office? That ah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I go in and he's a good guy. It wasn't his fault at all. He had to, you know, he was the bearer of the bad news, but he said, look, you know, the, the legal team here looked over this record and they said, you've got to take this song off the record. You got to change the lyrics to this song and like, you know, all this sort of stuff. And I just looked at him, I go, uh, what, what, <laughs> what are you telling me? And he told me again, I said, look, I can't, uh, you know, I said, give me a, give me a day or so. But I told him like, look, point blank. I'm not going to tell any artist what they can and cannot say. I, that's not, I've never done that before. I, I, we don't, we don't meddle in the artists, like whatever their vision is, that's their vision. And, and we stand behind it no matter what it is. And I'm not going to change anything. So he said, yep, understood, understood, understood. And it kind of went on for a little while. And I realized that, you know, this was not just going to be an isolated incident. There are other artists that were having issues as well. So basically I had to go sit with Mo Austin and Lenny Warnicker, these two legends and go, uh, I can't be here. If this is going to be the case, I can't be here. And they completely agreed and were really cool. So, you know, we'll end everything. We, you know, we were, we have the Google dolls at that time. We let them stay at Warner brothers and they went on to have a lot of success, which was very good for everybody. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was, that's the only time we've ever really been in, in the corporate world. I think that's one reason why, one of the reasons why I've never sold the company or, or, you know, sold it to anybody. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to have, have anyone telling me what I can and cannot do. And it's not worth the money. I don't really care about I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Money anyway, so it's not really worth it to do it that way. And, you know, even though we're distributed by Sony, which is a major label, we, you know, we do whatever we want and they'll, they'll put it all out without any questions asked, so... Were those distribution deals or those more corporate things responsible for for Metal Blade uh, releases being in uh, in clubs like Columbia House and BMG? Oh, yep. Okay, so because that's that's where I come in. That's where I find Metal Blade Records is doing that penny for yep. whatever twelve CDs, yep. and then you'd get that little tiny card or catalog or whatever to fill out, and it would just have. I didn't know the fucking bands. I just would look for the parentheses that had metal played. And those were the ones that I checked. And that's how I ended up with merciful fate, which at first was like, what the hell is it? You know, but, but eventually became one of my favorite things. But, but yeah, that, those, those, those clubs were kind of, they yeah. probably got a lot of us in. Yeah. Well, I, I was involved in it too. I was like, Hey, this is a, this is a cheap way to listen to a bunch of bands. So yeah, I mean, we might've probably gone in there anyway, but it was certainly a lot easier being at Warner brothers because they had the direct line to it. So it, it made sense. Uh, still not sure. I mean, it's one of those things where they call them lost leaders, where, you know, you get the stuff out there and the people like you that wouldn't normally have bought something. And you, the theory is, you know, people like that here, they like it, then they'll buy, you know, other things. So uh, yeah. sometimes it works, sometimes it, it didn't, I guess. Well, it didn't work because it also said contract void as a minor. And I was doing that shit when I was like 12 and then you just wouldn't pay the bills. And that was, that was the way to stack the CD collection. My mom used to get so mad at me for how many CDs were in the, were in the mailbox that they couldn't fit the mail. And it was, it was ridiculous, but uh, you know, it's been part of my obsession. I could jump around all sorts of periods for metal blade and talk about all sorts of records, but I want to make sure we talk about current stuff. Stuff that's happening or hasn't even happened yet. Uh, actually, just earlier today on my lunch break, I had a conversation with Alan from Primordial. They got a new album coming out on uh, on September 29th, later this month. Same day, I know at least one other band on Metal Blade is releasing a record that day, Harm's Way. Which made me want to ask the question, is it easier or does it matter at all when you have multiple releases on one day? Oh, it's, it's, it's not as easy. Uh, and we try, you know, we try to separate these things as much as possible. I mean, that's, you know, you asked earlier, like, you know, what's your day to day. And a lot of my day to day is, is trying to figure these things out of like, okay, we can't have, you know, we can't have an amount of Marth and a, you know, King Diamond record on the same day or the same week or anything. So we try, we have a lot of bands, we have a lot of releases. So we try as hard as we can to keep these things, uh, not, too much together, but sometimes you'll do a couple. And I think that, you know, two releases on the same day is okay. And, you know, Primordial's more of a European band in terms of... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is it because of they're going to kind of hit two different spaces that it's not, they're not really going to 
Yeah, that, that helps yeah. a little bit because the European office will be the ones that are probably doing most of the work on primordial. And then there'll be the U.S. office doing stuff in harm's way because, you know, harm's way is uh, is from Chicago. So it helps a little bit. We Like I said, we try not to do that if at all possible, but you've only got four release dates in a month. So, you know, right. sometimes there are just some months where, you know, you're going to have more stuff than you do in other months. But we try real hard to to, to space it out, especially the big records, the big releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we talked to all the bands, you know, because you've got Cannibal and Enamon Marth and, and uh, Kill Switch Engage and you know, all these bigger right. bands. And you try to, to keep them, keep them. And they're all well aware, too, because they don't want to put out a record the same time the other bands are, yeah. too. So, new Cannibal oh, coming good. soon, right? Yeah, New Cannibal's coming real soon. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's within the next month. I always forget release dates. I, I do, too. I, get I need it. to pay more attention to that. But uh <laughs> But yeah, they're coming real soon, and and the the new record is uh, amazing. When when they did that last record, which was a was was like one of their better records in the last the last few years, you know, they wanted to do another one pretty quick. But, you know, pandemic, they all had a lot of time downtime to write stuff, so they had a lot of ideas. They said, okay, well, then, you know, that's fine. We can do another record pretty quickly, but you know, make you better make it good. And they said, yeah, and they they're like one of our easiest bands to deal with. They're super super cool. And they're also very honest about things. And I, I was talking to them, you know, I said, is this going to be as, is this album going to be as good as the last one? I said, it's going to be better. You know, really? Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, and it is. As, as amazing I agree. Yeah. I think it's better. It's really good. Yeah. I've listened to it quite a bit already. And I, I would, I would agree with that as well. Violence and Imagine is cool too, but this one's, yeah, this one beats it. Cannibal Corpse albums. It's not, that's not a, I always say it correctly. They're not going to, they're not, they're not going to suck. They really can't suck. Like it's <laughs> like, I mean, you know, you, it, it, I always worry though about a lot, you know, these bands that have been around for a long time and, you know, you, you know, put out, you know, however many records. And at some mm-hmm. point you figure there's going to be a lull, but you know, a lot of them are, I mean, Cannibal's a band that's really consistent. You know, they, they, yeah. you know what you're going to get with them. They're not going to change their style too much. And, you know, it's, it's it, they've been, been really on it the last few years and they work really hard too. I mean, you know, they're, you know, they're, not getting any younger, just like we all are. And, uh, you know, they work really hard to, 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 to make sure the music is, is really good. and still real heavy and the lyrics mm-hmm. and everything. So, uh, yeah, it's great. Well, uh, before I, I want to ask you about another death metal band that you guys got going, but before I do that, I want to go back to harm's way. And I just want to wondered if there was ever any big internal meetings about the apostrophe. No, I, I mean they came to us. They, they existed <laughs> when when they came to us. So that was the the logo and the name. So you know we're like, all right, we'll go with the date. The band themselves may have had some of yeah. those conversations, but uh, look, like I, I mean, band names are so weird anyway that you know whatever it is, it, it is. Well, now now I like that they stick with it. Cause, all right, so some pretty it was pretty entrenched. I used to see Harm's Way on a lot of small stages, you know, back in in the hardcore scene, and. Uh, and it was all, it's always been a discussion. What is up with that apostrophe? And now if they would lose it, it would be like, well, what'd you do with it? You know, why'd you, why'd you get rid of it? So, well, you can't do it now. It's too, yeah, it's too yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. So a more modern, uh, uh, death metal band that you guys have on your roster is 200 stab wounds, uh, which you released a seven inch for earlier this year. Masters of morbidity, more, morbidity, more morbidity. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> morbidity. Whatever the fucking word is, you know what it is. Uh, yeah, uh, which I was just surprised by, and I know you do it sometimes. But the seven-inch format is that like how often do you do that? Is that you know? It just seems a little for a label your size to be doing seven inches seems a little odd. 
That's, look, it's fun. We're all fans at the label too. And I love doing stuff like that, you know, especially in any sort of vinyl seven inches. I mean, I, you know, I grew up, I mean, the whole new wave of British heavy metal scene was a lot of seven inches. So, you know, I've always been, I wish I could find them now. I got a jukebox in the garage. I'd pack them. Oh, there you go. Uh, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so really that was the band wanted to do. I said, hey, we want to do a seven inch. Can we do it? I was like, yeah, of course. It's, it's cool. Like anything cool like that, uh, we're all for it. And I'm a massive fan of that band. I have real high hopes for them. They're, uh, you know, young kids that are really good. And, and you know, like I said, we, we have, uh, <clears throat> there's a high, there's a high, there's a, a real high ceiling for that band in corporate terms, I guess. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And I, I think by, by reading your books and getting your opinions on, on, certain death metal bands and certain sounds. I, I think I'm pr- pretty much in line with your thoughts on the genre or at least whatever they were at the time, you know, and I, I, I like a similar style too, and they're one of the best at it right now. So it's cool to see a band also that kind of came, well, are they a maggot stomp band? There was, there's like a whole, like, you know, group of bands that are kind of coming up with us from a similar scene right now. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah. That's, that's a kind of cool thing with, with, you know, for us now is there's all these, you know, these little small labels, you know, run by one or two people that are signing all these bands and, you know, we're, we're getting them, you know, whether it's close casket or, you know, whoever mm-hmm. it is, a lot of these really cool labels. And honestly, they're the ones out there, you know, kind of doing the hard work and finding all these really cool bands. And then, you know, they get to a certain point where, you know, we want to work with them and, and they're all cool with us doing that. And the bands are cool with it. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we can do our thing and it helps those labels. Cause you know, we need more, you know, we need more good labels out there. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the our contemporary labels are being bought up by all these big companies. We don't know, you know, you hope that, you know, nuclear blast and central media and, you know, all relapse, all these companies will stay, stay true to what they're doing, but, but they're now owned by somebody else. So you just don't know, you know, so you have a roadrunner where, you know, over the years they've just kind of become, you know, not much of an entity as much anymore. Yeah. Sad. Well, how, why is a label of Metal Blade, Century Media, Nuclear Blast, why is, why are labels of your size essential in heavy metal? Well, I think, you know, we're, you know, we're the ones that, first of all, I mean, all those labels are all fans of the music. So, you know, that's, that's really important because you want to have people that understand the genre that are working with it and make sure that the bands are doing what they need to be doing and are, you know, properly promoting it and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think, you know, we all provide, you know, bands that can get really big, just a, a comfortable home where it's, you know, it's everybody, you know, you're not dealing with people in suits or, you know, corporate stuff, you know, kind of like we talked about earlier. It's just, it's, you know, it's a, it's a good spot for them. And, and, you know, we need, you know, we need as many of those labels around as, as can be to make sure the scene just keeps growing and keeps getting bigger. Cause you know, if they, we lose, you know, I felt, you know, losing Roadrunner, I mean, I would lose them, but they're not what they, what they used to be was kind of a bummer because, you know, just another label that was putting out really great music. And we, and for the scene, we all, we all need that. And, you know, we're all, you know, all the labels, we all know each other. We're all friendly because we're all fans of the music. We all wanted to to do well and all of our bands tour with the other bands and everything. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's important. And, and I also would be great to have, you know, some of these small labels come up and and get to, to all of our sizes because it just prevents, it's just more opportunities for more bands. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. And I, I I understand what you mean by that. And it's almost like you can't like, there's, there's a, I won't say it's a fine line, but once a band gets so far, 
it's like, you better fucking make it now or you're done. And it doesn't feel like that's the case with like, no, yeah, no, I don't think, you know, we, you know, you, I mean, obviously it's a business part of it and you have to look at the business part and you you have to make sure that, you know, you're making money and the the bands are making money and everybody's doing it the right way. But, but there's also, you know, not a lot of pressure. Like if, uh, you know, if a, if a record doesn't perform as well as one of the other ones did, but we all think it's a, it's a good piece of art, then, you know, that's really all that matters. But, you know, you have to be cognizant of all that sort of stuff, but it's, there's no, there's no pressure from our end that like, Hey, you have to sell a certain amount of records or else, like, you know, we don't really care as long as, you know, then all the numbers make sense and everything. And, you know, the, all the bands and, you know, we're, we've been doing this for 41 years. So we're pretty good at, at, uh, guesstimating what, what makes sense in the bands and the managers all understand. So it's, uh, everybody's on the same page, which is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I thought about, thought about asking you this earlier today, cause when I got an email and it was something I wasn't interested in, and it's still something that I struggle with people that I, I don't know how to, I often don't know how to say no to people. So tell me about developing that, just the ability to say no and not being totally guilt, guilty about it. Yeah, it's 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 really hard because I I'm, I don't like to say no either, it's, it's, especially people who know. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I think the way that I try to to skew it, I guess, is especially with like a band, for example, that mm-hmm. you know, somebody's got a band, they want it to sign with us. And it just, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like, I'm just going to be honest and go like, look, you know, either a, we have too many bands, which we, which we really do at this point. Uh, or it's just, you know, just not quite right for us. It needs to develop more. And we never, we never say no and say, don't ever come back to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's just not going to work for now. And, you know, maybe go out and, you know, create some more art or maybe find a different direction or maybe we get on the same page at some point with you. But, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, that's the real terrible part of this business is, is that sort of stuff. And I think we're, you know, again, we're pretty lucky with the, the, all the bands and the managers that we have in the label. We have a really good relationship with everybody. So we rarely ever say no on anything. Uh, and I think there's a good back and forth. Cause again, you know, that they all know how things go and they understand what makes the most sense. So there's rarely ever, I mean, I get a year, you know, I can probably count, count on one hand the arguments I've had with management or bands over something. It's really pretty, pretty easy because everybody kind of knows the way it goes. And, you know, uh, again, we've been doing this for a long time. So we feel that we kind of, you know, have a pretty good handle on things. But but yeah, it's, it's that's the, the, the messiest part about doing this is is the saying no part, which I hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And just the business part, which also, you know, it's a business. So you have to run it like a business. And if you don't, you won't be around. So that's important. Sure, sure. Of course. Well, uh, on the other side of that, I guess, kind of related to that, I guess, you've uh, written about and spoken about your like near miss bands or not near miss near what word am I looking for? You wanted to sign them. You didn't sign them. You missed out on them. Yeah. Uh, Ones that got away. Yes. Yes. The ones that got away. And I know, I I think it was in your book, the second book, uh, swing of the blade. You mentioned Volbeat as one of those bands, which you also mentioned earlier that you now have, uh, Volbeat's Michael Paulson in his new band as in hell, uh, releasing a record with, with metal blade. Does it feel like a little bit of redemption? 
Well, um, I don't know. I, <laughs> oh, this is a little bit like just, at least it's yeah, one of the guys, I mean, look, right? It's, it, it's it's incredibly humbling for me, for us, honestly, because you know, obviously, you know, always a huge band, and you know, Michael's a, a, a you know pretty huge artist, and you know, but he's he's you know a huge fan of death metal and heavy stuff, and and you know, Q Prime, you know, managed Metallica. They're one of the biggest management companies ever, and they both came to us and said, you know, we want to sign with you guys, uh, which was like, wow, like that was. They didn't shop it anywhere. It was they easy. Yeah. To us, and you know, we tried to work out a deal, and luckily the staff really liked it. And I don't think any of it had anything to do with the fact that we passed on Wolby years ago. But it's a funny story because a, a good friend of mine who was a tour manager over here was tour managing over in Europe, and he sent me uh, an email and said, "Hey, uh, I'm tour managing I, whoever it was at the time. I forget what it was, but you know, we have this this band that played with in Denmark that nobody's heard heard of called Wolby. Here's their demo." I think you might like it. And I thought it was amazing. I thought it was mm-hmm. great. So I pass it around to the, to the staff and everybody, not just one or two, like every single person like, nope, 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 nope. It was basically a pass. So as much as I liked it, you know, I yeah. can't like, if the staff not into it. I, I, I mean, I could force them, but that's not, that usually doesn't work because you're making them do something they don't really want to do. And it's probably not going to work. So, so we didn't, we didn't get it. And they went to my friend, Ed Van, Van Zizzle. I was, uh, Dutch last name at, at mascot and he signed them and, uh, and they went on to do fairly well. So, so now if there's a band that I really like and the staff might not like it, I go, remember Volbeat, uh, you know, <laughs> not on that one, but I mean, it is what it is. I mean, they, again, they've gone on to huge success and, you know, more power to all of them. So it's all right. Yeah. We're no, still, cool. we're still okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you are. And I think uh, how much of that is built on this s- relative success of, bands that you've had on the label for a very long time that are just incredibly consistent. And the one that like comes to my mind first is like goat whore who just releases album, you know, album every couple of years. And it's just on the road all the time. And I feel like you've got a lot of uh, bands like that on metal blade records. Oh, it, I mean, it's, it's extremely important. You know, we're again, you know, honored that, that a lot of these bands, you know, stay with us for, you know, so, so long. We have so many bands that have been with us for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And that that's you know, really great. And yeah, a band like Oat Horse is, is, I mean, they're kind of a, you know, almost a bit of a dream band. You know, we have a lot of those where they just, they make great records. They can constantly tour. They're easy to, to get along, get along with. They're easy to deal with. You know, they're, it's, it's all good. It's all, it's all fun and, and it's great, you know, and it's, and you know, there's a lot to be said though, with a band like that, where, you know, look, would we, would, do we all want them to be bigger? A hundred percent. I think we want every band to be bigger than they are now, but you know, they're, they're really consistent and they love to tour and they're, you know, doing well enough. Uh, and you know, the good thing about bands like that, that get, get a big catalog, you know, you put a new record and the record will do well, but the catalog, Mm-hmm. Do well, see that with like Cannibal Corpse, like they put a new record, and all of a sudden the whole catalog goes crazy. Or I'm on a Martha, or you know, any of these bands that have a big catalog, and that's I think it, becoming very important to the bands because you know, for a long time before streaming and everything came in, you know, the brands weren't making a lot of money on, on music at all, it's all based on touring and merch, like 90%. Now it's a little bit better, you know. I know people, you know, yell about Spotify and you know, all the streaming services, but you know, we we do. I think a lot fair deals with it, with the artists than the major labels do, for example. So, so they're making, you know, they're making legitimate money on the streaming. So it's, it's, it's becoming a, a, an actual source of real income for these bands. So, yeah. uh, and you know, look, if you can stick around for a long time and be consistent and keep being on the road, you know, you're going to, you're going to over time, you know, sell a lot of music. Yeah. 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 And I I'd imagine that's the case for quite a few bands on your label. As I mentioned, there's tons of stuff that I bought 
over the years just because there was that metal blade tag on it. The the logo has switched a couple times. Real quick, what's what what logo do you prefer? Well, I I mean I kind of prefer the the original one, the bloody axe, just because that was the first yeah. one, right? So it was it was super fun. But yeah, we did that, and then when we got to Warner Brothers, we kind of felt like that's. Eh, I mean, it was uh, probably spent twenty dollars making that logo by some kid. That, <laughs> so we need we need a more professional logo. So we did the second one, which is this. Uh, you know, I don't know what's the blade coming through a thing. I don't know what it, what's, what the gag is considered like the guillotine blade is what I always yeah, refer to exactly. it as. Exactly. So then the third logo, which is this pirate logo, which became like the total accident. Our sales guy, Dan Fitzgerald, uh, was looking at T-shirt designs once because, you know, we're like, hey, what what about this for a T-shirt design? I go, oh, man, that looks really cool. So we did a T-shirt design where it became so popular. We just kind of was like, we should start putting this on the on our on our, you know, uh, products and albums and everything. And that's just kind of slowly became the logo. But what we do now, which is kind of interesting is we let the bands decide which logo they want on their records. So so a lot of bands have gone back to the bloody ax now. Uh, and then other bands, uh, Killswitch Engage, for example, loves the guillotine logo. So the guillotine logo is on, on there. So, so we let them decide a second. They want to put one of the other logos on. It's fine. Fine with me. I don't, doesn't really matter to me. Have you noticed any, uh, any, like uh, commonalities between who picks what? Not really. Uh, no. it, it's interesting because even some of the younger bands, because I think, uh, you know, I haven't seen, I, I looked at the artwork, but I can't remember, but I think even Stab Wounds might even have the Bloody Axe logo on it. But, you know, I just, you know, some people like it just because it's a throwback and, you know, a yeah. lot of stuff they might have, you know, listened to back then, they were into it. But like I said, I'm, I'm, we, we give the bands the chance, whatever, whichever logo you want on there, we'll, we'll, we'll put on there for you. One thing that I just thought about today and that I used to love is that records used to come out on Tuesday and eventually they switched it to Friday. How did that change things? Did that change anything? Because to me, I always thought I like the record, the new records coming out in the beginning of the week. So then I can listen to when they come out on Fridays. I feel like they get forgotten about over the weekend. Any any opinions on the release day? Well, I mean, we don't, we, we really have zero say. In oh, that. I know. I know. It's an interesting yeah. thing. But I think that the, the theory was that you put a record out on a Friday, you've got the whole weekend for people to listen to it, to, to get into it, to, you know, you're, you're putting it out record out on a Tuesday. It's a work day. It's in the middle of the week. And, you know, some people just don't, you know, they're too busy working or they don't have any attention, attention span and over the weekend. You're going to really listen to something or especially I think streaming is another big thing that came in that, that changed it a lot too, is because, okay you put a record out on friday most people have the whole weekend to listen to it so they have more time to listen to it than you know in the middle of the week when most people are working so i think that was kind of the theory behind it um i haven't noticed any massive change in people's buying habits necessarily um but you know you know, we just do what we do. And, you know, I'm right. sure the major labels, you know, they're the ones really controlling all these sort of things. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Apparently if you're Taylor Swift, more people listen to it on the weekend. I don't know, <laughs> but it is what it is. And it, like I said, it hasn't, for us, it hasn't really deterred anything. We haven't seen any big downturn or big upturn Whether it just, it kind of business as usual. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this, this, I'll, I'll leave you with this one. Going back to your book, you often mention shows at the country club in Reseda. In my mind, this is a country club. Is it a country club? No, it was uh, <laughs> a really cool music venue that, uh, yeah, I mean, was kind of the, 
the original epicenter of the LA metal scene was of course the whiskey and the troubadour, probably the troubadour more than any, anything else. But then uh, I can't remember, it, it was around for a while and it was, uh, I think they called it the country club because I believe that it was mostly country music in the mm. late seventies, early eighties when it, when it came, came in. But then all of a sudden the, you know, different promoters came in and they started booking shows. In fact, the, you know, kind of the, I mean, it, one of the biggest epicenters in the history of metal blade and Metallica was Michael Schenker group played the country club in December of 1980. And that's my friend, John Cornerans saw this kid wearing a Saxon European t-shirt in the parking lot and went up to him and said, you know, Hey, you know, the famous story that was ended up being Lars Ulrich. And so, uh, but it was a great place. It was a really cool place to go. Cause it was, it was big. It's like 1200 seats. Uh, it was a really cool balcony up top, which usually I would plant myself in the first, you know, first row of the balcony, first table tables of the balcony. And yeah, I mean, I saw, we all saw a million great shows there. I mean, I saw U2 on the boy tour there and, you know, some Metallica when, you know, Jason Newstead was first in the band there. And yeah, it was kind of the epicenter for really a long time. In fact, our offices were across the street uh, for probably seven or eight years. So we it would, we become party heaven after the shows. Yeah. We'd be like a, once they kicked us out of there, like, let's go to the office. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a, a real nice venue. It was big. And, you know, you can see there's, you know, we've put out countless, you know, Fate's Morning, Armored Saint, Lizzie Borden, countless video, live videos from, from there. So yeah, it was a, a, a pretty cool place. And it was, was nice for me because I lived in the Valley and the country club was in Reseda, California, which is like smack dab in the middle of the Valley. And I lived in Woodland Hills, which is maybe like a 10 to 50 minute drive at, at, at best. Whereas, you know, going to Hollywood, Whiskey, Roxy, Troubadour, that was, you know, quite a, a bit of a longer ride. So, and back in those days, not everyone was sober when they're driving. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was a little tricky, but uh, yeah, the country club was great. It, it's still there, uh, but that area's changed a lot. I think it's now a, a, it was like a boxing thing or something for a while, but I think it might be a, somebody said it was a church for a few minutes. And now I think it's like a Mexican uh, dance hall or something. I don't know. The evolution of a venue, you know, they, they, that, that happens I, all around, but that's, it's way, always it's real on a real quick side story. I love to tell the story. So if you ever watched yeah. the movie Boogie Nights, you know, the, the scene of the donut shop, the donut shop is about a two minute walk from the country club and right across the street from our office. So we, oh, yeah. we, I know that, donut, I know that donut shop very well. So <laughs> but, uh, if you want to see what the, what LA looked like, uh, the country club back in those days, you can check out Boogie Nights. You know, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you with a, uh, match you with a story. I don't know if you're familiar or I'm sure you're familiar, but I don't know if you watched the wire at all, the HBO Funny, series. Just talking about that yesterday with a bunch of people. I, I never got into the wire. I tried. Oh, okay. It's it's to me, it's the best show ever. Maybe that's because I lived in Baltimore for a handful of years, but also definitely because there's a bar that they go to, the cops go to all the time. And that bar, I forget what they call it on, uh, on the show, but that bar actually was the sidebar, which is the coolest. It's, it's the best venue ever. It's and I've for, been there. I've been there. for punk and hardcore shows. You've been to the sidebar. Yeah, that's so that's the sidebar, which is they're in there several times in the show and they make it look so big, but it's really just it's a like a 90 cap room. It's tiny, you know, but uh, but it's uh, but yeah, that's that's from there. So it's cool to see yeah. places like that. Yeah, it's always fun when, you know, you're you end up in this TV stuff like that TV show Bear now that's really huge. Uh, mm-hmm. the, at least the first season, I haven't seen the second season, but first season it's based in Chicago. So one of the kids is always wearing a Harms Way shirt. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. Yeah. We're talking about Harms Way earlier, so. 
<laughs> nice. That's good product placement, right? Yeah, absolutely. We didn't even, we didn't even know. It's like, it just kind of happened. <laughs> no, it's very cool. All right. Well, Hey, um, I could ask you about what's I, I typically I would with a smaller label about what do you got going on this year, but you guys have so much stuff going on for the rest of the year that it would be, you know, you'd be reading off a list. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to thank you again for your time, for your conversation, and for your contributions yeah. to heavy metal, to my life, to now reading, and uh, eventually I'll find that vodka too. So, uh, yeah, com. Sorry.
So there you have it. That was my conversation with Brian Slegel of Metal Blade Records. The song you just heard was from Goat Whore. It was called Death From Above. It's from their 2022 album. Came out just about a year ago. Angels Hung From The Arches Of Heaven. I figured we talked about them. We should listen to them. It's always a good time to listen to Goat Whore. I want to thank Brian for his time, for his conversation, for his contributions to all the things that I've loved in my life, whether that's music, reading, or even drinking now. Uh, it's, it's so cool. And he has such a big thumbprint on uh, my little universe. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, yours as well. No debate in that. Again, in the GOAT conversation, for sure. So thanks to him. Thanks to you for listening this far along in the podcast. I always appreciate when you're here at the end to hear me do this, to hear me talk nonsense, to hear me try to persuade you to go to gettingitout.net. Check out the new release list for today, September 22nd. It's robust. This is the time of year where a lot of good records are coming out. And uh, the Cannibal Corpse is one great example uh, Chaos Horrific is what that's called, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that at the beginning, but that is the name of the new Cannibal Corpse record. You can go get it now wherever you get records. I'd also like to suggest that maybe if you like hardcore, you check out what A389 Records has got going on today. They have released a reissue of Cold as Life's Declination of Independence. Uh, that's long awaited. And I scooped that up first thing this morning, still laying in bed. I suggest you do the same. If that's not cool enough for you, there's plenty of great stuff out today. There's a new record from Dead Feathers, who I've played on the podcast today. If you like uh, pretty traditional rock and roll, little stonery stuff that I think is on Ripple Music, that will be very cool. New one from Final Gasp, who I've had on the podcast very recently. I think that was last week. Uh, Morning Moon is out on Relapse Records. The new Freya is out if you like your Metallica hardcore or Metallic hardcore. Satin. And <laughs> not Metallica hardcore. There's a new Hex Vessel on Sfart Records. Uh, Iron Mind, the Australian hardcore band, is back and has a new one on uh, Flat Spot. There's Heart of a Coward, which is a UK, uh, you might call a metalcore band. They're going to be on a new episode of Getting It Out podcast probably ne next week. Their record, This Place Only Brings Death, is out on Arising Empires today. Uh, anyway, the, the point is there's there's tons of stuff. There's a new one from Ken Mode. It's the second half of the Null and Void uh, series. This one is called Void. Of course, it's on Artifact Records. And hey, for all the, the real ones out there, there's a new Stained record out today. So get that while you can. Confessions of the Fallen. But I guess that should be it for this episode of the podcast. I don't need to tell you everything that's out today. You can go to gettingitout.net and check out the list yourself. But first, I'm going to leave you with a track I'd like you to listen to. It's a track you might have heard of before. It's a band who was on Getting It Out podcast earlier this year. They are a Metal Blade Records band. They had a new record drop this year. It's among the best metal records of the year. It's Cattle Decapitation. The record is called Terracite. This song is a photic doom. And thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.